covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Kyleman and Jim Bernier. Man, fans of the 50-yard fight, this is the Inside the Walls podcast, bringing you once again a brand new episode. We are kicking things into gear for the 2023 NAL season, and I am going to be joined by, of course, my usual co-host, uh, Jim Renier, but we have a new co-host as well. First time we're going to be doing the triple header here. He's been a guest on this show. He's been uh, an impactful player, to say the least, in previous nal seasons he is a former nal mvp so uh we're bringing on an expert in the game himself and he's a current offense coordinator over over there in the college scene it is mason espinoza who as we've said we we hinted at it we've we've mentioned it online gentlemen he is our third co-host for this year welcome to the crew mason glad to have you on now as more than just a guest my friend (laughs) appreciate you guys it should be a should be a lot of fun i was i was saying uh off camera i have a I have a lot of useless arena football knowledge. Uh, at least I can get it out somewhere instead of letting my girlfriend hear it all the time. <laughs> Give her a little bit of a break. You can talk to, talk to right. us, go into the man cave, what you got all set up back there. Here we go. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. But we're glad to have you on board. Uh, Jim, as I always say, well, good to see you as well, my friend. Glad we're getting back into swinging things in normal episodes too. You know, yeah, got a uh... lot to talk about today. Yeah, I got a lot to talk about. Really, nothing nothing big happened in the arena uh, news lately. Um, nothing big. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> totally chill. Uh, um, really nothing. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, we got our Tony Romo uh, in Mason. Uh, <laughs> so we've been, we've been getting people from coaches from other this league saying that you guys do a good show, but you need more of a game breakdown. So why not get a – MVP of the league and a former AFL champion. Did you win the Arena Bowl with the Empire? Yes, sir. Did the last, We thought we were going to be the uh, the final Arena Bowl champions forever. So we're kind of just you know whatever. It's funny because if you go back to uh, say you go back to twenty twenty one, there is like a master versus the apprentice type of setup in the NAL championship. <laughs> I, that's how I was looking at it. Get, throwing up the uh, Duel of Fates type of song in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I got a lot of texts and and uh, messages from a lot of former Empire teammates that were on that 2019 team. Just uh, and, and there were a few there at the game. I know Benson was there. I know CT was there. I know Ooh, okay. you guys, Ryan K were there. So, oh, um, dude, yeah, I had a great comment. By the way, before we jump in to talk about the big, uh, the the big, I think uh, elephant in the room. Elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, I I was gonna say I had an excellent conversation with Ryan Cave on a different <laughs> show. Uh, really, really. Uh, I would say humble and uh, very studious gentleman there. He's yeah. going to do a lot of great things, by the way, with the USFL Players Association that he's going to build. So, yeah, really good stuff. He, he he's on a, he's on his way with the United Football Players Association, also helping them out. So. Awesome. He was he was the president of the players union in the AFL, mm-hmm. and he he was he was awesome. He was a great dude. Great. Dude. Yeah, he he was key in the USFL negotiations, by the way. So that was, was that was like his main thing. It's uh, really got, cool. Good for him. You man. know, loved it. Love seeing that. And. Good for uh, him. You know, so yeah, I'm got, and I'm kind of curious because I did ask him, I did ask him about this. Not going to say he did, he played coy on this, Mark. Well, speaking of, of course, the elephant in the room, we might as well get this out of the way. The AFL is finally back into the fray. Yes. Uh, so, long story short, me, Jim, uh, you know, Mason's been kind of talking about this on the side. We've we've known a little bit about this for a minute now. Um, it, you know, it, things have been rumbling for a month plus. Uh, 
but it's here. Um, it's been just really the right timing for posting out. They've had pretty good social interactions so far. A few details for those that maybe haven't been in the loop that are still curious. Uh, the AFL is returning in 2024. They are planning to play Ironman football uh, with rebound nets. So you're going to be seeing essentially the OG version of the sport, much like what the NAL is gunning for this year. Uh, 16 teams. So definitely ambitious to say the least in terms of what is going to be there. And that is composed of, according to them, either current franchises or going to be new franchises. We don't know who those are yet. That's all speculation. It's been all that's been talking. It's only been two days, but the social interaction has been pretty damn good for the league. A lot of nostalgia they're leaning into a lot of, uh, you know, kind of look backs into trying to bring back what the sport was good at. Um, and that's also in part important in their marketing is they are using the 2000s era logo from the from the golden era years of that time when, you know, stadiums were hitting like 15,000 fans and, you know, they had an NBC TV deal. And it, it's that's a lot of what they're getting for. Um, and I definitely feel I need to hear more from Jim and Mason here because, A, J- Jim, of course, being the fan he is, he's been watching this much longer than I have. I have said on the show i'm much newer to the scene i love this sport but b we have a former afl qb on here that you know got to see the last few years of the afl in its entirety and now it's getting reborn five years after the fact but it is here uh gentlemen what what are, what are your thoughts I'll let, I'll let the former qb kind of dive in because i mean you know he it's kind of weird you saw something fully go down in flames and now it's it's back new skin and everything uh new backing and all that it's still kind of i would say surreal for me to kind of take in yeah yeah no it's it was really exciting for me to to see just because i mean arena football is such a huge part of my life for such a long time and still is right i mean obviously i wouldn't be doing this show but uh i mean the way it ended was really hard obviously with you know with your we were told, you know, even our last meeting, however many, I, there were six teams left in that last league. And we were told the day after the Arena Bowl from a very, very reputable source that they already had like four teams already approved for expansion. Mm-hmm. This, their whole year, they're preaching this rapid expansion and they're leaning into the DraftKings and the gambling and all this stuff that's going to take them to that next level. And, and then kind of out of nowhere, the rugs just pulled on you. And then, uh, you know, and then obviously COVID the next year and the whole thing. So the the fact that it's it's back, uh, it's just really cool. It's really exciting. Yeah. And the more exposure to it, obviously that league and that brand is going to have the most exposure because people have, you know, 20, 25, 30 years of, of knowledge base already on it. And, you know, every time I bring up arena football, I, I swear there's somebody like, oh, I had season tickets to the Chicago Rush and, Oh four! I had season tickets to the Nashville Cats in 01. It's it's all all those old school teams that everyone always talks about. It's just it's cool. I'm really excited to see and see what they do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of nostalgia a lot of nostalgia has already been thrown up by it. it it's amazing. I, I can't recall any time since in a while that I've seen as many casual fans come out of the woodwork for yeah. Arena Football as I have with this. I mean, you're having barstool sports of all places, you know, commenting on it. That, I mean, that's. I mean, credit, you know, it's not a serious news, but like the f- people follow that, you know, that's, yeah. that's not the normal fan base for arena. Yeah. It's weird to see that, but it's almost, it's yeah. kind of giddy exciting. Yeah. I saw something today as, as I was scrolling on Twitter, like, I guess one of the guys that does content at Barstool or something, I don't really know, but uh, he was uh, 
involved in the Arena Football League in 2019 because he put it he put out a a video of him. I think it was Columbus in Atlantic City where he was on the field like doing an interview or something, and he almost got run over by a pick six. And so now he's at Barstool. So I think he's whoever that guy is. He wrote a big article on Barstool about how cool the AFL is and has kind of injected some life in there. And then everyone picked, you know, Sports Illustrated picks it up. I see Fox. I see the Athletic. I see all this stuff. So. It's pretty cool. They're doing a really good job with exposure right now. They've done a great job. I got to mention, you brought up like it's the AFL's original closure in 19. That was the saddest Thanksgiving I can recall (laughs) that I've ever had because that, that was the, that was the threshold was they had to figure something out by then. And that, that was, that's like the only, that's like one of my biggest bummers for holiday memories is just having that like, Oh, great. Here's my plate of Turkey. My, one of my favorite leagues is dead. That's it, man. I'm thankful I have other football. I guess that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a, it was a sad day for a lot of like, the people. Don't know back in that back in that there was there was still a lot of a uh, lot of money to be owed to a lot of certain players out there mm-hmm. at that time that didn't didn't get their pay. So uh, there was a lot of sad sad for a lot of reasons for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, well, play, I think a lot of people too. A lot of people seem to forget about the player angle sometimes. You know. Uh, Luckily, it wasn't midseason closure. That's the worst case scenario oh, that would happen. Yeah. So, at least they got to finish the year. Yeah, all things considered. Um, yeah. You know, uh, before I, I want to hear Jim, I, but I want to hear Jim's, of course. But I, I do want to let you, Mason, say kind of a story you told us at the beginning, because um, you have your nameplate from your your Albany days, uh, yeah. which you told us fascinating work around how you got that back. Yeah, it's you know it's. It's really cool that, that I, of course, I only spent one year in Albany and it was, mm-hmm. it was an unbelievable time. And I was the, I mean, I wouldn't even, the guy, I was, you know, backing up Tommy that year. Uh, the, the fan interaction and the fan support that we had was unbelievable. Uh, Paulie, who's still, who's still, at least as of when the last time I played was going to the Empire games. I think he's big on the NLC now, but mm-hmm. uh, he, I guess, I don't know if they're having like an auction or a sale or something after the league folded of all the old empire stuff, they were selling everything you could imagine. I think obviously because my nameplate was there. Right. And they were selling like old nameplates from your locker. You know, they make a nameplate yeah. for you. And, you know, I, I forgot, like I, I got out of town all me so fast. Cause I was ready to have my own team. I thought I was going to go to Cleveland or Pittsburgh or something. I wouldn't even think about Albany and right. taking stuff. And this guy, he's the man. He hits me up. He's like, Hey, what's your address? I think on the social media, maybe Instagram and, I get, he's like, I got something for you. He sends it to me and he sends me my nameplate with a letter. And he had went to this and he saw my nameplate and bought it or, or gotten it and sent it to me and sent a letter with it. That was, it, it was, it was awesome. And just, it was just saying how important the Albany empire were to the city of Albany because they had something to root for. They're a little bit overlooked sometimes I think as a city and the, the empire really gave them something. And then obviously that was before the empire came in the NAL, but yeah. Uh, it's just it's really cool to see that and to see what what that does to certain people and I think that's that's what's the beauty of the the arena game sometimes is having those connections and, and being able to do that so it's pretty dang cool. That's a great story. I had to I had to have you share it. I, I couldn't leave this up this episode without you at least putting it out there. And I've met Paulie last year, by the way, at the NAL Championship. Um, yeah. Real good dude, honestly. I, I I'm glad I'm like duh, after you said it, I'm like of course who yeah. else but him to do that i'm not he, shocked at all he did more like off the scenes that people never know about that that he'll he would never admit but he was uh he was he was awesome he was awesome uh, he, 
that's great. I love that. I love stories like that, man. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Arena football, it kind of brings back, like I said, it's a very it's a very nostalgic property, but it's getting a lot of buzz. I mean, Jim, yeah. you know, you and I have talked. Like, it's, you know, we, we follow the NAL hard, but, I mean, the mm-hmm. AFL is a special place, and I think any indoor arena diehards heart just because it is the godfather of the sport. It is the one who yeah. made the sport. You know, Jim Foster created it, and any sect or skew of it comes from him. So comes from at least that origin and that league itself. Oh, how I want to say this is the National Arena League. We've met, we've made friends. Mason's one. We've made good connections with all organizations. The National Arena League is home right now for the arena game. Mm-hmm. But the, that's the same. We've all dated people in our lives. You never forget your first love. The first love was the Arena Football League. I was a diehard Orlando Predators fan. Yes, as a Jacksonville Shark fan, I was a Predators fan. Blasphemy. Yeah, how dare you? Um, But my first, like my very first Arena Football game was down in the old Amway Center when Aaron Garcia and the New York Dragons went down to play. I think it was Jay Gruden and the, he was the coach at the time for the uh, Predators. Mm-hmm. And I was hooked then. Yeah, the final score was like 65 to 58, something like that. And I remember some fans who were below us who were season ticket holders, like, this was a defensive game. And I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I'm so used to the outdoor game, and then I got used to it. Then in 2010, my beloved Sharks were born. And ever since then, I've been a Jacksonville Sharks fan. And when the Sharks left the NA, uh, AFL, there is a lot of reasons why the Sharks left. There's a lot of reasons why the our land, uh, the Arizona Rattlers left. Uh, reason why Tampa Bay took a step back. There was reasons why it happened. There was go- there was a lot of chaos happening in the AFL, the the other ownership group, not this new ownership group. Mm-hmm. But no matter what people think the new AFL is going to be, for the community that I've seen on Twitter right now, um, act coming in alive like we never knew the arena football is coming back i'm excited it's back it yeah. never left the arena football never left it just there are eight organizations seven organizations that have carried the torch for five years four or five years in the national arena league playing arena football rules and the reason why it never got its you know claim to fame is because it's the national arena league not the afl so to the people who are listening to this podcast right now, welcome arena football community. Um, there's arena football this season and it's been played. This is now the fifth season of the NAL. Mm-hmm. Um, familiar names, the Orlando Predators, the Carolina Cobras, the Albany Empire, and the Jacksonville Sharks. Two, th- three of those teams won the arena bowl. Look in the history. They all, Albany has won because of course, Mason, he's an Albany Empire um, champion. And 19, 19, right? Yeah. Yeah. 19. 19. Um, Sharks won in 2011, and Orlando has four or five times they've won throughout the years. But to the community that's out there right now, which is funny, it's like they need to bring back the Empire. Well, the Empire never left. They need to bring back the Sharks. Um, We're still here. Um, And you see the Iowa happening. I, I, I find it funny a lot of the original teams of the AFL are getting tweets and things from Facebook and they're acting like, oh, I can't wait to bring them back. I'm like, they're like, we've never left. <laughs> so yes, the AFL won't start until 2024, but it benefits 
the OG teams in both the IFL and the NAL, those fan bases will get increased ticket sales. You're going to get more eyes on the product because people are going to be getting ready for the AFL, but the National Arena League right now and the IFL and CIF, they're going to get some love because people are like, oh, this game's still here because they can't believe it because everyone's paying attention to the XFL and the USFL, of course, ladies and gentlemen, if you're USFL fans, go check out the USFL podcast with Zach and uh, Stefan. Very check. Thank you. Um, but remember, five years ago, there wasn't the USFL. There wasn't the XFL. It was arena football. It was the NFL and arena. And that was it. Now you got so many new sports <laughs> leagues. And it, it's crazy. And it just amazes me that we look back in time 10 years ago. When do- doctors and scientists are saying football, American football would be dead by 2005. It's still, it's now the fastest growing sport in the world. Just telling you about how popular sports getting. So more leagues, more fun. So for the arena football community here, welcome to the Inside the Walls podcast. We've been here for the last two years covering arena football, the game that you guys love and what we love. Hopefully you stay throughout the season. We got our own Tony Romo, Mason here. Um, to help break down some NAL action this week, because uh, I'm just wanting, I just want to hit him some what, what Romo actually says. Oh, oh, Jim, I don't know, Jim. Here comes Jim. Hope they don't talk as much as Tony. <laughs> no, but I guarantee, I guarantee you'll like to do all the commercials he does, though. Yeah, that's the truth. Um, but I'm excited, like as a fan, as much as I love the NAL and I still love this NAL league. Um, the season that's coming up in 2023 is going to be epic. So to the new fans who are just now realizing that the sport is still playing right now, you don't have to wait. We got football here, but again, the OG AFL is back. A lot of things are going to happen this season. Uh, I've seen teams like Albany made a report quickly um, about their interest in NAL. And I'm just going to say to every, this is just not the NAL. This is not just the CIF. This is just not the IFL. They're not going to say they're going to another league when their season is just about that to begin. Would, well, it'd be, it'd be insane if you did. Like yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it, it's like they're following script. I'm like, okay, oh, okay, whatever. But for the arena football community, welcome back. We missed you guys. We really do. We really do. And especially arena fan. I was a diehard for that website, and now they're back. I am so excited that the community's back. I know Mason's like, oh, here because a fan and Jim. At least I'm not talking about the Sharks, bro. <laughs> that's coming. Well, I can't really – well, I can't really quiz him on the Sharks because he actually knows the the head coach more than I do. So, But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm stoked. Um, it, it's going to be an intriguing season in the National Arena League and a very – Interesting off season, um, and I hope you guys join the journey of uh, this season with us as we follow our seven franchises in our league uh, to the championship on August 18th and 19th. I think they pushed it back a week. It's supposed to be the August 12th weekend. I think they pushed it back because of scheduling issues. Um, but yeah, uh, welcome in rainy football community. And yeah, I'm just I can go on for days. So it's funny. I'm just thrilled. Uh, yeah, I mean. We still we're gonna get the full arena set up, you know, a year prior to what the AFL is gonna have anyway in the NAL. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I can't stress enough the Nets are something that in, it, it makes me ecstatic for this season and what's ahead with gonna be two leagues that are playing mm-hmm. the style of ball. By the way, keep that in mind. Um, so the arena style, which 
to me, I was worried it was fully dead. It is going to be thriving uh, once again by next year. I mean, it's it's in its infancy of returning fully this year, mm-hmm. but we're going to have it thriving fully next year in two in two of the more prominent leagues in the sport. So crazy to even think about that now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting and for players, especially for players in D2, NAIA, D1, and lower, lower level tiers that can't get their call to the XFL or USFL or NFL. They can thrive in the Arena League. Just ask Mason. Like, mm-hmm. he's a small school guy. He came here and he, <laughs> he won the MVP. Should have won a championship, but uh, I shouldn't do that. He should have won two championships. <laughs> Uh, Where's but, my my damn trophy? <laughs> hey, hey, I hey, 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 I made a highlight. Hey, I actually held on to that trophy. It's actually in Kern's office. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I can't find the Arena Bowl trophy. That's the one thing that's missing. I can see the two NAL trophies, but I have no idea where the Arena Bowl trophy is at in Jacksonville. <laughs> Hiding away. Well, <laughs> well, the when the fur when the Sharks when the Sharks the San Jose Sharks won the Arena Bowl. And left, they kept the trophy, didn't they? Uh, wait, you mean the Sabercats? I mean, yeah, sorry, sorry. It's, it's fine. I mean, Sabercats, sorry. I, mean, I, 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 I do that all the time. The, the Sabercats won the AFL, they won the Arena Bowl, and kept the trophy because they didn't play the next year. They folded. I mean, it wouldn't is be. That, is that when the birth of the belt happened? Yes. Like, I, I, and I don't know the timing of it, but I know because I've played with a couple former, former, uh, uh, players on that team mm-hmm. and they they won it and they were like still waiting on rings like they're still waiting on but they kept the trophy they won and kept the trophy go look back look at when they won it and look at the big arena cut like the big trophy mm-hmm. they had and then look at the next few years after it it's not the same trophy i think yeah. they kept who did, it? Who it did they be beat in that year was it philly um, was it cleveland might have been philly i don't know like it was it was before my time kind of but because I know the Sharks last year was against San Jose, and we lost the Arena Bowl in San Jose before we went to uh, the IF and the NAL. I, I don't. That may be. Yeah, they, they defeated the Sharks. Actually, that was their final season, oh. 168-47. And they won it, and they kept the cup. They they had the trophy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they never yeah, talk, back. The, the talk about the walk off of walk offs. Uh, fun fact: the MVP of that game was Reggie Gray. Yeah, there we go. There's the name. Wow. Blast from the past. Mm-hmm. Losing coach was Les Moss, winner of Curse Darren Arbet. So, you know, a few names less. to around. <laughs> My man Les. Mm-hmm. He was our He's OC been... in Albany that year. He's a great dude. Love that guy. Yeah, well, and you see what he did over there in North Arizona, too. I'll, uh-huh. I'll give, throw him a ball there. Keith, yeah. How about that role serve. reversal, right? Keith was the head coach. Moss was the OC. Moss gets the head job, and then Keith becomes the DC. It's pretty cool. Those are two yeah. great guys. Really good friends of mine. And, and Les uh, got Jacksonville its first championship in 2011. Yeah. But also, we did have the maybe one of the best ever quarterbacks to play the arena game in Aaron Garcia. Yeah. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of pivotal to have that type of dude that just slings it like crazy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I'm glad that it's back because all the memories I have from the uh, from the post years. One of my fondest memories, one of my favorite ever AFL games. Uh, Zach made a comment about it, and it's so freaking realistic. We were it was off air a couple, I think, last week. It was, I think, the 2000, I want to say either 12 or 13, second round of the AFL playoffs. No, 2008, 
AFL playoffs. The Dallas Desperados are taking on the Columbus Destroyers. Matt Nagy's Columbus Destroyers. Yeah, yeah there you go. And Matt Nagy, uh, Destroyers beat the Desperados. My Zach here mm-hmm. uh, made a comment off air saying, just like the NFL team, best number one seed in the regular season and choking the divisional round of the playoffs. <laughs> it's Dallas tradition. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a simple fact, man. You get 13-3 season and you're expected to – like seriously, they just released uh, – I think it was Sports Center. They'd released like top ten, uh, maybe not Sports Center, but it was some, one of the major publications released a arguably their top ten teams that never won a championship. If you were to put it in professional sports, I bet Dallas Desperados would be on that list because of the fact that they were that much they were that much upset by the Destroyers that year. So, <laughs> the, you know, the, the Desperados in three years lost four games. I mean, they were, I mean, Jerry Jones kept that kept Don't the lights that. on very well. Uh, they just and, couldn't. Just like any Jerry Jones team, they couldn't finish the deal in the two thousands. So. <laughs> in, in two of those years, they lost. They lost only in two of those years. They lost twice, regular season and the playoffs. They, I think, they almost went undefeated one year and they lost in the first round. Like they, like that was like a hysterical. <laughs> and Matt so. Nagy, that's when he his claim to fame was the Columbus Destroyers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think they went on to beat San Jose or lose to San Jose in, in the Arena Bowl. I think they, I think they lost to San Jose. Yeah, I don't think the Destroyers ever won one. No, or because they were like a, they, I don't they ever, but I don't think they did. No, yeah, but they I think got, they were like they the 12 to, seed. No, no, no. They got to the, they got to the Arena Bowl, but they did not win that year. That I am. But they were like I the 12 seed, weren't they? That year, they were like the last team that no, got in the eight, playoffs. They were like eighth or ninth. They were mm-hmm. one of the lowest, lowest on that. Lowest. Okay, so they, they basically had to go on the road every single week. Right. I mean, they, like I said, they won. Like so they won in 08. They the Sabercats won in 08. Um and that was actually against Philadelphia. <laughs> so um it wasn't San Jose. I'm going to I'm going to kick myself. But um yeah, I mean I get it. Destroyers like Matt Nagy. I remember 2019. That was when Matt Nagy was still popular in Chicago by the way. Mm-hmm. So that man is a different that man the meaning for that man's name is a little different to me because I <laughs> Yeah. know how that tenure ended but i right. i'm aware of his impact he had on that he had while he was with columbus so and and, and also for the the fans that are being reintroduced to the arena game and especially in the national arena league there are a lot of familiar faces you'll see in the national arena league that played in the afl uh darius prince devin wilson jonathan bain um well, well i would say mason but you'll see him here uh um <laughs> there's i think sean lockett played in the afl there, are, uh, I think Outlaw played. With, Outlaw did. Dangerfield did. Um, the Beavers. I think Beavers did. I think uh, did he play for Atlantic City? Larry Beavers. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he yeah. did. And if you look at Albany's roster, they're they're full with a bunch of yeah. a former AFL players from Albany, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and I want to I want to say Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of players in around the NAL. So when you watch the NAL, you're going to see a lot of them say, Hey, I know this guy. Oh, Corbin Ross, was- Arthur Hobbs, oh. Vontae Davenport. There's a million. You could keep yeah. going on. It's so, it's the same so, so when you think of the national arena league, ladies and gentlemen, it's just not a second tier league. These are AFL players playing in the NAL because the NAL is the home of arena football right now as of today. Speaking of which, I know we've hyped this over the last couple of 
days. Well, because of the AFL announcement, I decided to get this going earlier. It was not supposed to be released earlier. So it's 30 minutes in the show. I did tell the people on Twitter last night and today that the release will be happening at 1030 for the actual hype video. Well, it's 1030 now. So sit back and relax and enjoy the 2023 NEL hype video presented by Inside the Walls podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get it going. Uh, I love it. I, I love it. Just, you know, we're, it's amazing. We're a lot closer than we think to the season. But, like, you know, it's great. I get to watch this video, that video, and I, I go, hey, you know, a lot of that talent there comes back next year. And I get to watch that same group of uh, excellent athletes perform at a high level once again. So, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, I'll, I'll tell you. And some of them, like I said, changing names, change, names changing places when we talk here. But it it's it's fa- it's nice. You know, I and it's arena football that's ahead. I mm, feels good. And I'm feeling all right. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it was very hard trying to find a, a, a music theme to fit the type of moment of the what the game is and we get comments all the time from twitter facebook discord uh about how me and zach do so much work for the nal and for the league and for the game itself that i think deserves another hype video like i did a playoff hype video last year and someone says that i need to do hype videos every single week i'm like no, <laughs> that's ridiculous. A lot of editing. Um, <laughs> a lot of editing. Uh, I made my first hype video uh, was the, I think, the rivalry between Sharks and the Lions. And then I did another hype video for the playoffs. And it, it's, I, I do it because I love doing it, but also it, it puts a spotlight on the people on the field. Like those players every single team are so talented as you see there in some of those clips, especially Sam Castronova last year, the man was a human highlight reel by himself. Uh, and the, how national media never gave this, you know, even gave the NEL even credit. It, it just, it gives us an opportunity to bring you this show highlights to say, yes, AFL's back, but the arena never left. We've been doing it here. And that video just showed you what you're can expect this season um, and many more seasons to come because apparently we're going to have multiple leagues in a couple of years and the arena league arena scene is going to be crazy. So with that, uh, the title of this episode, well, it is power ranking time for the boys here at the Inside the Walls podcast. And we're going to do something different. We did fill out a chart. I'm not going to show it to you guys. Um, we are going to do... Quarterback rankings, uh, because, of course, we have a quarterback with us, and we can't talk about – we can't do a rankings without quarterbacks. Uh, wrong if we did. <laughs> if we leave that out. Yeah, we're, we're going to do a quarterback rankings, offensive line, defensive line rankings, and receivers and running backs, basically. And then we're going to name who we – who our top players in that specific position are. And – to the people on there, on the on on there, people on YouTube. Hello, YouTubers. I'm uh, sorry, I'm getting discombobulated. Uh, you'll see all of our who we have as different positions 
on the bottom of the scroll as they come. So, gents, where how you want to start it off today? Quarterbacks, receivers, running backs. Oh man, real tempting to just go into the QBs right away, isn't it, Mason? <laughs> I'm I'm game. You guys let me know. I'm good with whatever. Uh yeah, you know what? Um let's just jump right in. Let's do QB discussion because a lot of, you know, that hype video had me think had me thrilled for some dudes. Like I said, names changing changing places uh two mm -hmm. of them in particular in that hype reel i want to talk about when we do this ranking because they are changing locations and one of them i especially feel is going to get a good reset this year with where he's heading to all right with that rankings uh, well let me see if i can do this quickly and this is just on the bottom. i'm actually going to clip it save it and put it into the screen so it might do a little bit this bottle so mason talk to the people about what a quarterback in the arena game goes through compared to the outdoor game that a lot of people may have a hard time, you know, how does Trevor Lawrence do what he does in the NFL compared to you or Tommy Gray do in the arena football league? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's different. It's different for sure. I think that's why you see uh, a lot of rookie quarterback struggle, right? And it really doesn't matter how, successful they were outdoors or what you did or how many NFL camps you're in or whatever. It's just hard and different to play uh, mm -hmm. just with whatever, you know, being able to get the ball out on time and throwing to spots, right? Very rarely, if ever in arena football, do you ever throw to a receiver? You're throwing to an open area. If the receiver doesn't get there, that's on him, right? And you got to get the ball out on time. So there's a lot of that. That's why experience is such plays such a big factor. Your release, uh, the time of your release plays a big factor because obviously the quicker your release is, the the you don't have to make those decisions quite as quick. Uh, but then also being able to throw, quite, quite honestly, off platform and really off your back foot. I think, like if you see some of the greats, like I think of Nick Davila, Tommy Grady, right? Some of those guys, Dan Radaball, like off the top of my head, like mm -hmm. you're gonna see those guys throw a lot of touchdown passes leaning backwards. I know that's really dumb to say. Yeah. But you don't see that in the NFL because the field is so wide, so it's it's so big, and especially in the CFL, you don't see that. Where like if you go look at Tommy, uh, you know, watch him play a little bit, like you'll see that dude's, you know, he's on the he's on his own five and taking five step drops and throwing off his back foot and dropping in the bucket, you know, in the in the opposite end zone, right? So the ability to do that, uh. I think plays, you know, and the throw off different platforms and different footwork plays plays a big role in it, right? As well as having the experience, right? For sure. Mm -hmm. huh. so it's the one thing I always get a kick at when we see a lot of young quarterbacks in the NAL and in the arena game itself. You see how they can't process they can't process the game fast enough in their head because they think, oh, that's a five step drop, six step, a six step drop. But in actuality. On your third step in the in, a, in a arena game, you can be sacked because it's so quick. How, how fast is the process to take you, or in your as a coach now? How fast will that process take for a, a rookie quarterback just starting into the league itself? It hard, it's hard, man, and it's and I think that's part of the reason I'm excited. You know, the AFL is coming back. There's more teams. You you really have to grow with a quarterback. Quite honestly, like you're mm -hmm. not going to find a rookie that's going to be able to, to just come in and light the world on fire without a really, really good team around them and be able to really kind of kind of mitigate your game plan a little bit. It takes a while, right? 
And it's not because there's not any talent or talent disparity or whatever. You're just simply doing things you've never done before, right? Like in never in outdoor, you're throwing a a sail route, which is 22 to 25 yards on the wall with fast motion on three step. You know what I mean? You're just, Mm -hmm. you're not doing that. You're not doing, that doesn't happen. Never in a million years in the outdoor game are you going to throw a, uh, you know, a two ball or three ball, a, a soft lobbing pass 10 yards in front of you over somebody, right? That just doesn't happen. It's a very common mm-hmm. arena throw. You're just throwing over the jack, right? So mm-hmm. it ta- it takes a it takes uh, an organization, a coach that's willing to grow with somebody young when you can see they have the raw traits, right? I was very fortunate my first year with arena. We were an incredibly bad football team. But Sean Liotta, who's now in charge of the, the fan-controlled football league, was – our coach and he grew with me. I mean, it didn't matter how many interceptions I threw or where my eyes were. He grew with me and he let me play. And then, you know, that was enough to kind of move on, but it, it legitimately took me a solid two seasons before it all clicked. And it was like, you know what? Like I get it now. I understand uh, because it's a simple game to comprehend mentally, mm-hmm. but it's a hard game to, to play proactively. Right. Like it's really easy to say, oh, you can only do this coverage and this coverage. But until you're taking the snap, taking five step drops and throwing to that space, it's really it's it's hard to do. Right. For just because you've never done it before. Right. And what I've seen over like especially last year in Jacksonville, Malik Henry. Yeah. He struggled on the short and intermediate routes and teams. I, like Albany just kept pressing, uh, kept playing press on a receiver saying, yeah. oh, they're not going to throw the intermediate out. He's just going to go, oh, crap, oh, crap, throw deep. And mm-hmm. once he learned how to throw that intermediate route, especially when he moved to Carolina, he got better as core. He improved because you could tell that how he was in the IFL, That's that league's different where you can just throw deep no matter what. There's not a lot of intermediate stuff. And in, in arena football, you have to have that. That short game, like I listened to an old show, me and Zach were having conversations when you were actually playing in uh, Columbus. Mm-hmm. He's like, and I made a statement. It's like to beat Carol, to beat Columbus, you have to get Mason's short game out of the game plan. If he nickels and dimes you down the field, he's going to torch you. And Zach's like, what do you think? How teams are going to play? I was like, you just got to press, you got, you got press, you know, press coverage or trying to, confuse him in the secondary and i'm like jacksonville was doing that earlier in them in that in the first game and look three processions later columbus is up by four score because hey we're covering we're not we're gonna get get rid of the short game oh who's that oh that's antoine grant 40 yards down the field for a touchdown but you could say you could see with a lot of young quarterbacks entering arena game that oh it's a 50 yard field oh i'm gonna just chuck it deep yeah well, they, it's hard. They, I mean, you know the dbs that you're playing are incredibly talented mm-hmm. right i mean you're looking at guys that have played the National Football League, right, have played arena football for a long time. Quite honestly, the most dangerous DBs are the ones that have played arena football for a long time. I'm not scared of a guy that just got cut from the NFL. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand the game yet. I'm I'm, I'm worried about the Marvin Rosses of the world and Arthur Hobbs and the Kenny Veals, like the guys that have played and understand the game. Man. They can cover a lot of ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when you're playing outdoor and I'm worried – I'm throwing a post to the front side – I'm not worried about the backside corner. He He's not going to make a play. Physically, it's impossible. Where mm-hmm. if I'm throwing a post in arena, the guy that will make the play is the backside corner. And he can kind of play in the middle. And he's so athletic, he can somewhat bait you into throwing that ball. And if you're late or if you're short, mm-hmm. he's going to pick it off. Like, look at Rodney Hall, for example. Like, dude's made a career off that. He's like 6'1 mm-hmm. and lanky. 
and he'll play right in the middle. And as soon as you release to throw it deep, he'll turn and sprint and go pick you off. So you have to be disciplined enough where if someone's trying to yeah. midpoint you and play games, you got to pound them underneath, make those guys tackle, pound them, pound them, pound them. And then as soon as they come up, then that's when you burn someone deep and you take advantage of that over the top. Like guys like Mishon Robinson. He's a yeah, vet. Exactly. I mean, and those guys are nightmares because they, you know, the wall's the extra defender. So mm-hmm. if they, I mean, Marvin's the best at it. He, when Marvin gets in the middle, he plays in the perfect spot every time where if you're going to complete the ball on him, it's going to mm-hmm. be in a window about that big and it better be directly on time. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard to play against those guys. It just is. It's funny how you say that because we had Jonathan Bain on last year about and, and we talked about DBs he's playing and he's like I'm glad I'm I'm glad I'm I'm Mishan's on my team yeah. like like he tormented me a lot when I played in Jacksonville yeah uh, but yeah but that's one thing we look at Orlando now with uh, Josh Jenkins and Brandon Fuentes Brandon Fuentes is an up and comer yeah. uh, star in this league and especially in the secondary he had injury last year but. Orlando's secondary is top tier in the league. They actually have a – I. it's going to be kind of odd. You're going to hear me say this multiple times in the show. They're a quarterback away of being legit contenders. Mm. Uh, that roster is loaded. But speaking of quarterbacks, here's our here's our r- rankings of who we have in our position. So Zach has his column. I have my column, and Mason has his column. Here we go. So Zach has – Cobras, Empire, Slingers, Stang, Sharks, Warbirds, Preds. I have Empire, Gunslingers, Cobras. I don't know why I'm saying this. Oh, because our podcast listeners. <laughs> I have Empire, <laughs> Slingers, Cobras, Mustangs, Birds, Sharks, Predators. Mason has Cobras, Slingers, Empire, Stang, Sharks, Warbirds, and Preds. Uh, why Predators at seven, you ask? Um, because they don't have a quarterback on the roster. <laughs> uh, they, they got one, but that's not, that's not much confidence. I need someone... I don't know. The, I think for all of us, the guy that, that the, the roster they've hung up here to put on, I don't know if John Sheehan is going mm-hmm. to, to me right away, gives me the confidence to say they will excel at that position. And I could be wrong. You know, John, if you're out there and you hear this, hey, I'm ready to be prove, proven wrong. That's a chip on your shoulder, my guy. But there's a lot more, I think, proven talent in the other six rosters right now. I have to. I think we all have to put Preds at seven just because mm-hmm. of that. Well, that, but also another intriguing question is how the top three of our rankings are all similar, but different at the same time. Uh, you guys both have Charles McCullum from Carolina at number one. I have Castronova, but we have Bain and we have, um, let me put the screen up again. Okay, got it. Now, no, we have Bain, McCollum, <laughs> and the Supernova. Uh, all three top, we think we're, agree, I, I agree, all t- three of those are the top three quarterbacks in the league. But why McCollum at number one, seeing that he's coming off a knee injury uh, from last season, or he's recovering from that knee injury from Billings? You want me to jump here? I'll go. I'll go. Because <laughs> I've played, I don't know Charles very well personally. Uh, I, I've played against him probably more times than I can count, but is, is, you know, he's a pro he's been doing it. I mean, he was doing it. He was a vet when I started playing. So like he's a pro, he's going to know what it takes back to, to get his body back and healthy. He knows what he knows what he needs. The dude's seen everything. He's accurate. He's got the quicker, all those things that I, I just talked about, like he does at a high level and he's done mm-hmm. it wherever he's went. So to me, I have no reason not to see like he's, 
he's he man, he's a he's a really good football player, and uh, that's going to provide some stability there in Carolina for sure. That I think I think is going to be good for them this year. Well, now I think that's kind of where I'm at too. My other take with this is these are QB room rankings, so I have to look at the entire room itself. It's not just the start. Good point. Because, yeah, because yes, McCollum definitely. You can make the case to me. If I'm ranking these individuals, I'm changing this ranking. Would McCollum's probably my third. I'm putting then Sam and maybe John at one, two equal, maybe like Sam like a smidge more because of the running ability. But if you look at the rooms, well, the the Cobras have two guys that have played in the arena leagues in the past. Their backup that they just signed, Caldwell, he was with the Bismarck Bucks last year. So you're bringing over someone that is at least familiar with the 50-yard game in its own capacity, even if it's indoor. Uh, the Empire, they're bringing in Vinny Testaverde Jr., you know, uh, someone that has not touched a field is going to be learning on the fly. So keep in mind, injuries are a thing. They're unpredictable, but mm-hmm. I have to put that ranking, you know, who's the most prepared of these QB rooms as well. Um, and really, one through three, it's marginal difference. For the Gunslingers, they're three because Jonathan Bain, definitely arguably the best, if not top two in this league, but they don't have a backup QB right now. You know, so again, that can change because it's preseason. But I'm looking at the entire rooms, too. Uh, otherwise, I mean, yeah, like McCollum, I have no doubts that he is going to, like Mason saying, get healthy and be ready to go. I also don't think he's going to be running as much either, um, which, I mean, you know, as you, you know, do, I mean, he is getting up there a little bit more in age as he's played. So the knee injuries, too, aside, that's going to affect things. They also still have a solid line out there in Carolina that they sign back veteran players for. So he's going to have time. Um I have some faith that he's going to sling the rock this year. Uh, he just won't be as mobile as he used to be. You know, no more things like when he was with Spokane a few years back. He's going to – he'll have to be more of a pocket passer than he, than usual. Huh. Okay. Well, I look at Albany, and the reason why I have them at number one in my ranking is because of Sam Castronova, what he did. Uh, test of – like, this is, this, this is kind of strange. Hear me out. Castronova, when he was with Carolina – Two years ago, day and night compared to what he's in Albany. Oh, he absolutely. was he was he was not a, a guy who you want on the field. It, it, was, it looked like it something was mental. Like I I didn't play quarterback. Mason did. Fumbleitis, interceptionitis. It's a disease. Once you get it, it just won't go away. You have to work through it. He had that in Carolina. He just couldn't get over it. And then he got released by Carolina. And then the offseason, he worked on his craft. Manas gave him a chance. Went start for the uh, Empire and bam, and he became the MVP of the league last year. Vinny Testaverde Jr. I guarantee under Manasseh's teaching, he'll be ready. I think that uh, he right now of all the backups, he I think even though he has no experience in the league, I think he has a better uh, you could say a, a t- not really teacher but a coach that can fit the system better in Albany um, because Casanova is a mobile quarterback. Mobile quarterbacks usually don't stay healthy throughout the year. They do get hurt because they're always running. Um, but again, I didn't play the position. I played D line, and my job was to sack a quarterback. That's what it was more talking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the the thing is, is I know a lot of we got to have fans here from every uh, team to listen. But there's a lot of questions. You know, we have Cato and, and Fayetteville. I think as the season progressed in Orlando last year, he did get better. He did improve. He settled down some. And then you look at over at the Warbirds. They did do a signing today. Daniel Jones was it Daniel Jones? You said signed Daniel with Smith. Daniel Smith. Daniel Jones, not the that's Who quarterback. Very right? Familiar <laughs> with by the way. So um, Smith, he just signed with the Warbirds. 
Predators, again, don't have any quarterback. Jacksonville are relying right now on a CFL uh, veteran um, and Kelly Graham, so we don't know. But, again, Mason knows more knowledge about uh, Coach Gibson's uh, mind than I do. I'm just a fan and observer. He actually played for him, so he knows of what's going on in Jacksonville. But, again, ladies and gentlemen, this is early preseason power room power rankings for position groups. The overall power rankings that we get for a team – They'll be posted later at a later date as the season gets closer when these teams actually get full rosters and once we get closer to the season. So let's move to the other rooms. Um, the other showboats, you know, the receivers and the defensive backs, you know, the ones that actually make the money, not the quarterbacks. So <laughs> quarter uh, receivers and the DBs are as follows. Zach has in first place the Predators. I have the Predators as well, and Mason has the Slingers at one. Uh, at, in second place, we all have. Oh nope, never mind. I have the shark. I have the empire, and Zach has the empire with Mason having the sharks. Uh, the gunslingers get the votes from myself and Zach, and the empire get the third place votes again for Mason. Fourth, Stang Stang's Preds is kind of we're getting similar picks now. Um, five is sharks, cobras, cobras. Uh, six Cobra Sharks Mustangs and seven is all the Warbirds of receiver and DBs. Now we're going to get this question a lot from probably a lot of fans from West Texas. Why are we ranked low in all these rankings? I want to say to the West Texas fans, contact your nearby fans of the San Antonio Gunslingers. They will tell you why. Um, because A, you're an expansion team. B, a lot of the players on your team don't have arena experience compared to the teams that we're familiar with. Um, so we can't really judge your team. Then you'll have, well, there will be a player on that team, like a Kylie Rashad that comes out of nowhere and it goes, oh my God, this guy's a freak. And now Kylie Rashad's won the, you know, stars of the league. And of course, we see at the top of the rankings, Predators, Predators, um, and Empire. That Empire? Does Mason did Empire again? Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay. Mason, why the Empire? The Empire, the Empire up top there. Are you sure? Yeah, the Empire. I, I'm just messing. Let me no, go we, check. Well, let me look. Oh, yeah, slingers, slingers, gunslingers. Sorry, I, I, I remember see thinking. The reasoning. Okay, so here's my thing. Okay, and and I'm a little skewed in my perspective, and that's that's fine. I'll tell you why. You you look at the you look at the list, and you look at the depth. Like first mm -hmm. of all, a lot of these rosters aren't formed yet, right? Fully, mm -hmm. you just yeah. you just alluded to that. Yeah. You know, secondly. Only a few of these guys are really gonna really gonna play. So I'm looking at a lot of like top ends, like, hey, who's gonna be their guys? They're hanging their hat on. I'm back and forth, you know, and all of these have very good very good rosters so far. Uh, I think Albany, you know, I, I think I had them at three or so. Like, I just think they're very they're very uh, like Darius Prince heavy, quite honestly, receiver, and they should be. Like, he's dude, I mean, dude's unbelievable, right? But as far as like being well rounded, like the Sharks and the Gunslingers both have. Guys that have proven. I mean, if you look at if you look at the Sharks, uh, just you know, with Gibson being Gibson, like dude, Darius Townsend, it's like unbelievable. Drell, Marvin, you guys already know what I think about Marvin. Like, oh yeah, they have a little more well rounded in this. The reason I think I, you know, kind of had the the gunslingers to kind of give them the nod is that because I can like I can clearly see like hey where they're starting secondaries, where their starting receivers are. Like, dude, Arthur Hobbs is a beast. Like we all know that. We, like Rashad, I think Rashad is going to be an absolute just a problem. That dude is – he's really, really good. I think he's going to take an either an even larger step up than Nico Thomas. It was a problem last year too. Philip Barnett is underrated. Like people don't talk about him enough. Oh, Philip Barnett, wherever he goes, he is a difference maker. 
uh, you know, uh, uh, Chandler as well, being DB. Like they have a lot of a lot of old AFL experience and a lot of arena experience there. And I just think they're a little more well-rounded right now than Jacksonville is just because Jacksonville hasn't, I don't think they have their full roster up yet, but the one thing I will tell you about the Sharks, I know this is about Jason Gibson. I'm sure we'll talk about this later is Gibson is the best talent evaluator I've ever been around. Uh, He always finds guys like there's going to be somebody on that roster one or two people that you're like, what in the world? Where did you find mm-hmm. this? He did it with Darian mm-hmm. Townsend. I mean, people Samantha. don't realize Darian Townsend was not on our team in 2021. And Gibson, we had an hour phone call about like, dude, there's he's like, there's something special about this dude. We got it. We got to do something to keep him around. And we didn't. And his first call the next year was Townsend. Now look at him, right? Same thing with Drew Green. You know, he did the same thing with Marvin back in the day. He was the first guy on Marvin Ross, like. He has, he has an incredible eye for talent, especially young talent. So I think you're going to see probably that that change as the season plays plays on. I'll tell you, one one guy he picked up that I'm excited for, he actually, you mentioned because FCF, uh, you know, he played with, you know, Leota coaches all those teams. Yeah. So uh, Jordan Smith out there has been getting a lot of good word from nice. people about him. Uh, he played with the Beasts is the yeah. team out there. Um, so that, that's someone I think I'd be looking for besides Darian Townsend. I mean, Townsend's going to get his his share. You yeah. know damn well they're going to throw to him no matter who's behind center. Um, but, I mean, I'm excited to see who else does make that impact. I think Smith is one. I'm I'm keeping an eye on him. He, he's he's a guy I'm looking at. Yeah. Obviously, you know, if they have if they have to go with others, like, say, uh, Archibald Nicholas, Brian yeah. Smith, you know, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm thrilled to see what Gibson's got. Mm-hmm. Um, and in looking at this list, uh, the Shark – like, I have the Sharks lower down because I I'll, it'll, it'll probably change – as you know, but as me and Jim have it, the Preds, you talk about names. So that one is a list of, well, lots of names. It's so Mm. weird having your quarterback in these rankings as seven, but yet so much talent on the receiving end Mm. to where we're like, guys, all you got to do is land a more, someone with a little bit more arena experience and you, you can be talking playoff team again. That's what's crazy to me. That's that's the main thing they need, and they can take advantage of that slew Hosting. of receiving talent and yeah. DB talent that they have over in Orlando that they did this offseason. Yeah, they have a they have a team where they can host a playoff game. Yeah, that's top two in the NAL. Top they two. just announced Jenkins being re-signed as is well, it, so yeah, keep that in mind. Fuentes is on the roster again, and he'll be a specialist. I mean, they have Dangerfield. They got Rob Jones. They freaking pulled over there. You know, I, I they got Lonnie Beavers. Outlaw who had a down year last year, but he'll probably recover. I mean. I can keep going. Larry Beavers, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. It, it, they just need someone to throw the rock to these guys. You guys are probably right, quite honestly, as I look at, like, here, here's what my, why my preds were a little bit lower. But one, because it, I know the quarterback shouldn't affect it, but it's hard to imagine a team without the quarterback. Like, That's if, true. If no one's going to distribute to those guys, what does it look like? But especially, I, man, like, Dude, Lonnie Outlaws is good as again. Like, we know that. Like, like Prince Chanel, I played with him. He's a great, like, he's That's another one. Larry Beavers. signing there. They didn't have when I looked at it like they didn't have a middleman, and a middleman in in arena is so 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 important. It's it's as important every bit you know defensively speaking as your quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I didn't know the Josh Jenkins thing till today, and that dude's as good as they get. So they they would if I had to redo this, I, they would jump up a little bit for me. I just didn't see a middleman that was right. that was kind of a lockdown middleman on their roster. That's such a big part of it. 
Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with your thoughts on the QB affecting the receivers because that's the thing. The receivers get fed, fed the ball from the quarterback. You have to have mm-hmm. that relation work there. And you know, I think we do value on this show a lot more of, hey, if you have arena experience right out of the gate, you know, not saying you can't catch on, but as Mason, you're putting there, you know, the windows are tighter. You got to get used to the field dimensions not having as much side to sideline to sideline action. You have to be better with angling your passes up, you know. Yeah. getting the ball out faster and you know if you're throwing it harder to get it into those tight windows yeah. you have to be accurate with that so mm-hmm. yeah i understand that point it's mm-hmm. that's what's so hard with the preds right now there's still some time but if they do run with just john Sheehan, if he comes out and slings it i'll love it because i'll love to be proven proven wrong it's just every other team's got someone that you can go yeah i i got good faith that their receivers are going to get fed well and they'll get accurately thrown passes to them Good point. Yeah. Now that, that what we've had an outlaw on this show before, mm-hmm. and of course you've played with him. He's always joking, and he plays. He played a very good Mac position last year because of his size. Jack. How difficult? I mean, excuse me, the Jack, Mac, Jack, whatever. Um, the Jack last year mm-hmm. with his size is that pretty difficult for a quarterback to be like, okay, well, I got him. Well, he has a freaking, you know, arm length of 10 feet and he can jump to the moon. How am I going to get a five yard slant route by this guy? Does that affect the quarterback's mindset? Just seeing a receiver like for Jackson, they put Devin Wilson in that position all last year. And you could tell quarterback when they went about to go throw like, oh, nope, I'm not going to throw that because Devin's right there. It does. I mean, to an extent, it, it just there's two there's two kind of. Schools are not two. There's more, but there's there's schools of thought on the Jack. Is one is mm. you know find your find your tallest receiver like Lonnie and put him there and don't make him move a ton, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're going to take away everything behind the Jack and in that world, and that is hard. But in that sense, I I kind of know what you're running. Then you know what I mean. Yeah. Like if I know the Jack staying back here, I, I kind of I have a better visual of what's going on, on the front side, right? If I know he's yeah. not going to get out there. Not saying Lonnie can't, right? That's just it's hard to make six, seven move and then turn around and make him play receiver all game, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's some jacks out there, like Devin Wilson's a great example. I don't know if you guys remember Terrence Moore from Albany. He's the best Jack I've ever seen in my life. He's unbelievable. And he was he was like a true linebacker, not not like a Mike linebacker, but probably like a like an interior or an exterior box guy, kind of on like an outdoor field. And he was a problem because he was like six one, he was kind of long. But he flew wall to wall. He was a problem. And you didn't, like, if you were late, I can't tell you how many times I saw him pick six, catch a pick, and go off a hitch to the to the middle receiver because he knew what he was seeing and he was so fast, he would take the snap. And if you were half a second late, he was undercutting your route on the front side, right? So you had to ID where he was going every play, and it was just another layer of just stuff to work through. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, Where, I play I play the defense side of the ball, so I don't know what goes through my thumb. my job was go get ball, go sack yeah. quarterback. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Fair, yeah, uh, fair. But yeah, you you especially with the linebackers. Speaking with that, I think we do have a the poll for the linebackers here. Let me put this poll up here. So let's just go to that position right now um, to you know 
talk about them. Let's see if it mm-hmm. loads up. So here's our rankings for our linebackers and uh, running backs. Uh, Zach has uh, in order Empire, Predators, Cobras, Sharks, Warbirds, Gunslingers, Mustangs. I have Predators, Empire, Cobra, Sharks, Gunslingers, Warbirds, Mustangs. And Mason has Empire, Sharks, Cobra, Predators, Warbirds, Gunslingers, and Mustangs. What's strange is that, again, this is the same other ranking where our top three are very similar. Um, I'm going to just go start off. The reason why I had the Predators at number one is they have two linebackers slash running backs that are switchable, and they're still the same caliber guy who's going to hit you in the mouth. They're going to get the yardage that they get the ball, and that's Maxwell and Alfred. Those two guys are beasts. And this is not discrediting Nick Hag over there in Albany. He's one of the most vicious linebackers in the league. But as a group, Orlando has the the linebacker, linebacker running back core that I think is – right now number one because of those two individuals maxwell destroys people you played with offered and his his tennessee how he played in columbus i couldn't stand him in columbus i'm like god this guy cannot get tackled and on defense he's everywhere on the freaking field i'm like dude like go to the bench take a break for six hours like get off the field um i have the predators at the moment because of that because maxwell when he's not teaching he's a beast on the field and Alfred, well, he had he was a special guest. I mean, he never really got on the show, uh, but he's a, that's a tandem right there. I'm like Orlando has the, ta- the Orlando is the carbon copy of the Carolina Cobras from last year. They're a quarterback away of being that exact same team. Um, I'm going to say that to the end. And this may take off all the coaches, but still. Uh, but look at the roster, pretty good. Yeah, I I think uh, you're 100 right. Alfred is an absolute monster. That dude's as good as it gets. He is a nightmare, especially from the pass rush perspective, right? The Mac position. He's really, really difficult to handle. And Maxwell's as good as they get playing fullback and carrying the ball and doing the whole thing. The only reason I, I I had them maybe a little bit lower and someone like I think in Albany, you know, a little bit higher, was that Maxwell and Alfred played the same position, right? And only one of them could play at a time. And I think even in the Ironman game, the Mac fullback position is probably if there is one that you can get away with playing someone a lot, like not needing a sub. Like if you look at Zach Brown last year when he played with Carolina, we were playing him in those playoff games. He didn't come off the field. He played the entire 60, right? So that's – that's if there's one position – first of all, it's impressive on his part. But secondly, if there's one position you can do that, it's probably that. I just see Albany a little more well-rounded because they have – they have Nick, they have Haig, you know, playing the playing – the, the running back Mac position, he's a nightmare at Mac. That dude, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, if there's a few reasons I'm glad I'm not playing anymore, and he's one of them. Uh, <laughs> years. Uh, if I got to, yeah, no, I'm, he's, he's a great dude off the field. He's a menace on the field. Also, they have shorts right there playing Jack, and mm-hmm. he's a little bit more of kind of what I was saying, a little bit more of the, he's not as lanky and as tall as a six seven, six six Jack, but he is everywhere. Right. And he's quick enough and fast enough while still having a little length to be able to get wall to wall, get sideline to sideline stuff to account for him. And so that's the reason I had them so high was just because they mm-hmm. they have a very clear Mac and Jack. And that's that's a big, you know, if you have a Jack that can affect the game, you're going you're to be a good defense. You just are. Oh, what's your opinion about Starks? He plays the same position now. He's with Warbirds. He was with Columbus. Is it the same mentality player? As like Hag or Alfred, or they, or does yeah, he have a different? Me, those are all they, they all play differently, but those are all three kind of three peas in the same pod. There, they are, 
their problems, their their menaces, right? I know yeah. I know Alfred is has a little bit more power, right? Starks is a little bit more good on your hip and kind of beat mm-hmm. you with some speed, beat you with some moves. Alfred can do both, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's uh their problems, right? And yeah. two, it's, you know, we joke about it. two of those guys you mentioned are guy are again Jason Gibson finds that he just kind of found yeah. there. I know he he been saying that for a while. So, but those those are max or problems, right? And if you know, they're guys that you want on the field that can create havoc, and yeah, so I see all those, all three of those guys very, very similar. I just didn't put the Warbirds there because I didn't, I didn't really know who they planted the Jack, and you know, Carey's a little bit more of a Mac. He's not quite as a really a fullback build. Where Alfred's a little bit bigger, he can play a little more fullback. It's just I'd be curious to see what they do with that. A, a name that I'm going to drop on both of you guys. Uh, I know me as a stats man, the guy who led this uh, led the Jacksonville Sharks and sacks last year, it's Mac linebacker Anthony Johnson. Stud, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, they that, that man. Say, that man alone instantly gets them up up towards the higher end of my rankings. Uh, I mean, I'm with I'm with Mason here where the Empire. I have to put him up top just for the complete the complete nature of it. Now, credit. I don't know if they'll continue doing the same thing as last year, but if the Empire, if they keep on using Trayvon Shorts as their run as their fullback which was a genius change, by the way, midway through the season to start basically using IFL-esque type of run concepts in that setup because teams didn't know how to defend it. It was mm-hmm. actually really – it was a really good offensive scheme. If they do that again, then, yeah, I don't know how you argue it's different because Shorts was almost the lead rusher in the NAL with half season's work at the position because they switched to that change. And he was also dominating in the in the, in the secondary with Hag as well. So – I got to put them there. It, it's they're the definitive linebacking core in the league right now. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> okay, it, it's it's hard to discuss. It's it's hard to discuss different linebacking core. I know we got players and uh, and fans from other teams like in Carolina and maybe West Texas and San Antonio. Like, what about us? Uh, San Antonio, you guys. I think they got Trayvon Short. No, they didn't get Short. They get um, they got Arthur Hobbs, right? San uh, San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't. I I thought he played Mac, but no, he doesn't. I apologize. Uh, we'll figure out them because if you look at these rosters, the ones that popped up in my rankings are notable names I know that have played many years in the arena game. Now there's gonna be guys in West Texas that we'll, we like besides Starks um, that will pop up. You go. This is actually a pretty good player. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what makes good players great in the arena game are head coaches. And I know our man here has a little soft, behind, a soft spot for a coach. So we're going to make him talk about the, the – it's a shocker, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is like breaking news shocker about who he has number one as a ranking of coaches in the NAL. So here's our coaching power ranking entering preseason – this year, uh, starting with Mason Espinoza at number one is the Jacksonville Sharks. Shocker, uh, followed by the Cobras, Empire, Gunslingers, Warbirds, Preds, Mustangs. Uh, Zach has Sharks, Empire, Cobras, Gunslingers, Warbirds, Preds, and Must- Mustangs. And I go Empire, Sharks, Cobras, Gunslingers, Warbird, Predators, Mustangs. Our bottom four are the same. Our top three are very switchable between the three of them. Three of them. So. I'm not going to say Zach. Let's let's give the guy who played for the dude. So why is oh, Coach yeah, Gibson yeah, I mean, number I, one? I was going to say, go right ahead. Here, okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. And, I, and again, I'll, I'll kind of talk because, 
again, with no, any of these stuff, like kind of like you said, we mean no disrespect to anybody. There's just there's a lot of guys out there on rosters maybe with new teams that we haven't seen yet before. They're signing rookies. Like if you're a rookie, you know, we 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 don't really know you yet. The whole thing. I get that for sure. From a coaching aspect, I thought Fred Shaw did an unbelievable job last year at the Gunslingers, and that's him at four is no slight. That that's just I thought he did so much with so little last year with going through so much. He probably deserves mm-hmm. to be higher. There's just there's three guys with unbelievable resumes there in this league in the National Arena. Like I know Fred has an AFL background, right? Uh, with, mm-hmm. And then Manas winning a couple. I have a ton of respect for Fuller. Obviously, he's 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 unreal. Jason Gibson, like no shock there. Like uh, you know, you guys know what I think of him. I think the Sharks are in for an incredible. All Sharks fans are in for an incredible treat this year. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people maybe don't realize. I think. Maybe when you hit in a smaller market, again, I, I mean no disrespect to anyone, Columbus is my second home. When you get in a smaller market like Columbus, your head coach has to wear a lot of hats, right? He's in charge of, you know, player personnel. He's in charge of uh, ticket sales. He's in charge mm-hmm. of housing, right? If somebody has a housing problem, they call him. Like, there's a lot of little things where there's times when, I, you know, I go into the I go into the office and we go to meet or whatever, and his phone's ringing off the hook and – you know, it's he. I, I bet ninety percent of his day is spent not on football, right? And he's still going out and doing so much with so little and such a small budget. Now he has the budget. Now he has the bankroll, and quite honestly, now he has the time, right? The Sharks yeah. do an unbelievable job. That's one thing I've always admired about their organization. They do an unbelievable job at the the auxiliary people, the peripheral people, making sure the game day atmosphere is on point. They got a housing guy. They got all this stuff like he can worry about football and he's only been using about 10 to 15% of his brain on football for the last 15 years. Right. He can now use a hundred percent of his brain on football, talent evaluation, in season game planning. I really think the sharks are in for a treat this year uh, to see what he's able to, he's able to do with that freedom of time, quite honestly. So I think that's what kind of shoots him up the chart because he's done so much with so little for so long, I mean, the some of, if you look at the rosters and some of the names and some of the names that we've won with, uh, quite honestly, the Columbus Lions should never compete with the Jacksonville Sharks. If you want to be flat out, point blank, period. Just if you look at Buzz, it's like it's like a double A team competing with the New York Yankees. There, we should never have won a game, right? And the fact that he was able to get to a point where we were consistently winning against the Sharks late there is a testament to him for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's also why I have him up there is just you talk the talent evaluation. I also think just kind of, you know, how how he's been able to make, get the best out of what's available. So it's funny. Last year when I met up with him first time in person at the championship, I had given him props. I was like, hey, look, man, I mean, the fact you guys got across the finish line for the up and down like nature of it. I mean, that's that's adamant in itself. Dude gave himself no praises. He thought it was like one of the worst team. He, he thought it was like one of the worst performances he had had as a coach. I was like, what? You, you're you kidding me? He had to do all these flips and up and down changes to make this thing get to a playoff level. And, yeah. you know, I, I was just, it was fascinating to me. It just shows you the uh, level he expects himself to yeah. be at. Um, so, I mean, I got to put him up there just for that, that nature. Um, yeah. I have much respect for that man. Same goes by the way, for, you know, the empire over there of Manas and company, yeah. their staff. I mean, they have a very well bo- built group up in, up in Albany. So without a doubt, those are, to me, they're just the top two right off the gate. Yeah. Like the reason why I went Manas um, is the last two years, he's 
came into the NAL and has produced two championships. He's the only NAL coach to do that. I have Gibson at number two. Um, again, this is not a slide of Coach Gibson. Coach Gibson is the only coach in the NAL that has not missed the playoffs as a coach. He's and when he played coaching Columbus, you knew Columbus was going to be one of those four teams. And Columbus was on the streak there that they were one of the two teams playing for a championship every year. Uh, and last year was the first year that the streak ended, um, them not making a championship. So as a fan of the Sharks, I know he has, you know, the best interest of the team. I know he's going to find a quarterback that's going to run the system. I know he's going to find the future quarterback that's going to run his system. And Jacksonville has a defense, I think, or even though the arena has Ironman rules, how he has created this the defense in Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville is going to be – you're going to see the same mentality what the Columbus Lions were in 2021. Like a defense that's going to hit you, make you work, and then his offense is going to dink and dime you down the field and score points and tick you the heck off because you can't get this quarterback that has bad knees on the ground. He's too busy throwing <laughs> touchdowns to Anthony Grant. Right. Uh, no, but uh, the reason why <laughs> – that's one thing I've talked to Gibson about it, and and we have a good relationship, and I look forward to having you know covering the team. And, and I'm trying to convince him the, for me to be at all the training camp practices if I can um, to see what, how the team's going. But – the reason why I have Albany and Manas, again, both individual great dudes. Uh, we've had conversations with both coaches. They, they're both great dudes. They're you, you ask them a question, they answer it. Um, I just go by the way how Manas has kept the Empire tradition alive from the AFL days. Uh, they've made playoffs every single year. They have won three straight championships, even from the AFL days. Uh, I, I have him there at number one because he has the two trophies. And this is not a slight of Gibson. <coughs> Gibson did say in his press conference, he he's like, I'm being introduced as the head coach of the Jacksonville Sharks, and I'm standing right by a trophy that was stolen from me. <laughs> he said that at the press conference. And I was in the back. I'm like, uh, really? Did still it or was it just That's hilarious? Or was it just dropped? <laughs> uh, but and, and then, and then again, Gibson, Gibson even said, watch that play in entirety. And we were that close to beating the Sharks. And I was like, okay, I watched the play. I'm like, holy crap, the receiver was wide open in the end zone. Yeah, your that front corner fell off. That ball was going to that ball was going to J-Man for a touchdown. So that was like, oh, we're, we were a, a fumbled snap away from yeah. losing the championship. Two and plays I earlier in the game, we took Michael Reeve goose and we threw like, a, like an interior slot fade. Mm -hmm. Right, and so I can't remember who your front side corner was. He was a vet. <clears throat> I knew he was a vet, and he he saw he the same deal. motion, the same play, because we were trying to run that middle fade again, and he was going to try to fall yeah. off and pick it off. So we were going to whip it out to Jay on the on the wall and run in. It was touchdown. Yeah, it, it, it's it's like when he told me to watch that play again, and I was like, okay, let's see how close it really was. Oh, it was really close. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so that's where he said it was stolen from me because he knew he had the winning play and, and it worked. Uh, that's and that. And again, I'm looking forward to the season and the, the mentality in Jacksonville is like, again, we're tradition of winning. And if there's no big name single caller taking the snaps, if there's not an Arvell Nelson or Mike Faithful or Jonathan Bain or Tommy Grady taking snaps, you're going to have a lot of fans like, where's our quarterback to so the Jacksonville Sharks fans? Trust me, he has a guy. Just let the system work. Um, but again, Gibson's going to put this team in the playoffs because Gibson doesn't miss the playoffs. That's one thing he doesn't do, um, miss. That's 
we just need him to win a championship now. Um, but and the rest of the my rest of the polls, like you got Coach Fuller there, I have up there, and also I have a uh, Coach Shaw. Coach Shaw, uh, tremendous turnaround last year. The first half of the season, San Antonio was just a you know, oh my God, can you get out of your own way? And they fixed it, and they almost stole that fourth playoff seed from the Jacksonville Sharks. They that's how hot they were at the end of the year. Um, the coaching in this league is impressive. Again, I know what West, West Texas did in the other leagues they play in, and Fayetteville is a new team. Like, we have no idea what Fayetteville is. And, again, we have an a- AFL vet in Orlando, and you have all the talent in the world in Orlando, so there's a lot of questions there. Uh, but speaking of talent, uh, this is where we're in, the, and it's because we're going to wrap up the show. We're going to tell you who we think are the best players in each position. We're not going to put it up on the board. We're just let one of these guys or – Zach tell his positions, I tell mine, and Mason tells his. Because Mason has a good one for the special teams one that I looked. <laughs> I just looked at it and laughed. So with let's go by the list. Zach, who is the best position player right now for quarterbacks of the National Arena League? Well, right now I'm I'm going to be defending my guy Jonathan Bain. I bet some folks right now are going, wait a minute, we watched the championship. We saw that saw that performance. That's not him. I'll be I'll be honest with you. I, I I question what would happen if he doesn't suffer a lower leg injury in San Antonio and he's able to continue at his same pace because that man was going to win MVP honors in my opinion if he had not had to t- get knocked out for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent QB mechanics are really solid. Dude is you know he has gunslinger traits, but you know they are usually in the positive side of things. Man fits into tight windows, has a great arc, knows pocket awareness really well. Um, Love his game. He gets to go play in his own, at least in his own home territory back in down in Texas this year. And he's going to have some great receivers to be thrown to as well. Once again. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to defend my man, my man Bain. It was a hard pick though. Like I said, I, I rep Sam a lot. Uh, Castro Nova that is, I rep that man a lot in these talks, but I felt like to me, I had to defend, I had to defend Jonathan. I think he, uh, I think he got a little bit of flack at the end of the year for stuff that I think, you know, he would have, things would have been different if things are way they skew differently. So that's my QB. It's my QB. So yeah. speaking of QBs, let the QB pick who, who he thinks is the best quarterback in the national arena league. Uh, that, man, it's tough. It's so early, you know, to see everyone, you know, I know, I know Castro Nova. I don't know him really particularly well, but I know he had an unbelievable year. I didn't get to watch a ton last year. I was so busy until I had to step in for a couple games. Bain has been there for forever. He's the man. Love Jonathan Bain. He's uh he does an unbelievable job. It's just to me, McCollum's been doing it for so long at such a high level. Uh, it's just to to me, I just I I had to pick him, right? I think he's you know, and all those you could you could you could split hairs or whatever, but Charles has been doing it too high of a level for too long to to give up that throne right now. At least sure. the guys that are on rosters. Okay, well, and plus Charles McCollum is a. NAL MVP is a NAL champion with the Carolina Cobras. So he's basically going back to the Cobras and for Cobra fans and for the city uh, there, hopefully that he brings that same mentality back uh, a championship organization in Carolina for myself. Um, I can't do it. I can't do what you guys did. Um, I have to stick with the guns. I'm going with the current MVP 
NAL MVP and NAL champion Sam Castronova, uh, because if I don't, he'll go supernova and we're all screwed. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Sam Castronova is uh, my pick for the quarterback, the best quarterback in position or best player in that position for quarterback. So let's go down to the list to wide receiver and we'll go to a quarterback who may make a couple of these receivers, big names in the league, but is the number one, the guy he played for, or is there another guy he has a number one? Sam, um, Mason. I'm just yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. There's a lot of really good football players out there right now that are signed and some that are not signed. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, there, there's a million of them. I mentioned a lot of them. I know Lonnie Dangerfield, all those. Oh, there's a ton of guys out there. It's just Darius Prince has been so good for so long. How do you not? Right. I mean, that guy, he is their He's their offense. He has everything they do is funneled through getting him the football and rightfully so. And, you know, he's as long as he stays on pace with what he's doing now that I don't see that stopping. Back. I mean, I'm the same way. It's, it's hard. It's, it, he is right now, you know, it's been that way for a few, for a few years. He's on a different level. Um, and again, great talent in this league, but it's hard not to pick someone that's not named Darius Prince at this time. Mm -hmm. He's that's the I to me that is what I think every team wishes they had was someone that is that much of a game wrecker on his own. Um, it's it's it, it's going to be pretty funny. It's shocker. It's a sweet Darius Prince. <laughs> it's my number <laughs> as the best player in the, as the receiver. The man was uh the man was on a mission last year. Uh, and I think he was trying to get the Ironman. DJ Myers won the Ironman last year, and I think he has a good a good potential of doing that this year he is the weapon uh he was very he was underused in philadelphia when he was with the soul he shined with warren smith jr in lehigh valley then he just went up to albany and just as his thrive since there he has had tommy grady throwing it to him he's had um uh, sam castronova mike faithful and he's had a uh, uh, pendel throw it to him so he's had quarterbacks throw him the rock so it made him to where he is especially he was a beast last year in the uh, in the L, and especially won the I think offensive player of the year. Did he win that? Darius Prince. Uh, he was was the MVP. I mean, oh the MVP. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sorry. He, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah that's, I mean, that was someone like I said. It, I like I said. I think Bain would have won if he had kept going, but Prince definitely right. deserved it as a nod. There's no doubt about it. So. Well, it's pretty intriguing to the defensive backs. I can say all three of these guys played for the Jacksonville Sharks at one point. Um, all, both of these guys are pretty epic. So, uh, Zach, you start off the DBs because you and Mason picked the same individual. Yeah, and I, I agree with this analysis. Uh, Marvin Ross has been fantastic playing playing at the top level, and I think he is also a similar deal. Uh, right now he is, the he is the guy that I think you want as your essential DB in this league. Mm -hmm. um, it was hard. I was debating putting Brandon Fuentes here, but credit, I, I'm Fuentes, you know, Right now, I want to see what he's back healthy. Josh Jenkins, I think, had a good had a good shot for me as well. But I think Ross, I I like his his overall game uh, at this mm -hmm. time. So he's my guy. Mason, yeah, shout out to Josh Jenkins because that dude, uh, he's the real deal, right? I know mm -hmm. he just signed. Uh, he was, I think, uh, I think the only guy to pick me off twice my MVP year. So I, I definitely <laughs> heard about that after the game. He let me know, but. Uh, he's he's the real deal, and he's going to be really good for a long time to come. But the standard is Marvin Ross. I mean, that's that's point blank period. Marvin's got the athleticism, the the knowledge of the game. 
what a lot of people don't understand is how hard Marvin works at it and how smart Marvin is. Mm-hmm. Marvin will know what route you're running. This is why rookies get eaten up by Marvin. Marvin knows what route you're running by the path of your motion. Before the, before the ball's even snapped, he knows if you take your motion too wide or too short or too narrow, whatever it is, he knows what route you're running. So he's he's as good as they get. and He's the toughest guy I've ever played against, that's for sure. Well, mine's a former shark and I think and a former empire and a former Carolina Cobra, and that's a journeyman, Kenny Veal. I think he's now Kenny Veal the second. I th- or he is Kenny Veal. So I think that's his last whole name. So if I do apologize if I didn't get his name right. Uh, the reason why I have him as number one is he was a he tormented def- uh, receivers when he was in Jacksonville. Then he went to Albany. He thrived because there was another there was there was another guy on the other end for him that he can actually not be the main defensive player. Uh, I got Veal there as the best player. Now Marvin Ross is there. Joshua Jenkins is there. The list it, it could go on. Darian Townsend it, 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 and Kylie Rashad to play pretty good DB this year, uh, last year for the uh, San Antonio Gunslingers. So there are players around this league. Again, there's going to be players in West Texas that we don't know about. They'll, they'll come out and shine, and we'd be like, oh, okay, well, that, that will get the uh, the look at in the position groups towards the end of the year. Um, so with the we're going, I'm going to just say for the defensive line, um, uh, this is not a shocker. All three of us have the same guy. It's Brandon Cisse. Um, the reason why I had Brandon Cisse, um, damn, that's the reason why <laughs> dude is a, dude is a freaking beast. Uh, I, I feel sorry if I'm an offensive lineman and I see that guy and be like, Oh, this is going to be a long day. And of course Mason played against him. So <laughs> Mason, why Brandon Cisse? Well, I played with him too. He's part of that 2019 yeah. Albany team. And yeah, it's true. Yeah. For a couple yeah. of years. Uh, if you want to be totally honest with you, it's probably not, it's probably not fair, uh, but call it what it is. Cisse plays that nose position, and to me, I'm not as scared of a of a, of a defensive end that can rush the passer successfully because I can maneuver. I can get the ball out. Right? I can three step. I can step up. I can do some. I can do some stuff to mitigate that. If you put somebody on me on the center that can get, it doesn't even have to win on the center. Can just push the center back in my face. It's over. There's nothing I can. There's yeah. physically nothing I can do. Because now the center's in my lap. Now I got 600 pounds of man in front of me. It's hard. You can't see anything. You can't throw the ball. It's really difficult, right? And that's why you mm-hmm. see a lot of quarterbacks talking about being able to throw off your back foot. You see a lot of those guys can throw off their back foot because there are really good noses. I know probably a few years ago, you know, I don't even know if he's on a roster. I would have said Walter Thomas would have been a nightmare too. And he mm-hmm. was the same way. Now he's a little bit older. He's, you know, he didn't quite have the, the steam. Uh, to, to play a full game, but when he turns it on, he's just like Cissé. They can create that pressure, and it's not with speed. It's not getting through a hip. It's physically putting their hands on the center and pushing them backwards in the quarterback's lap. That's the most disruptive player on a defense. Mm-hmm. If you can get a nose that can push the center back, it's the most disruptive player on a defense, bar none. It, he will change a game. That classic bull rush. The, the most the most direct route to the QB is straightforward. You know the edge rushers. You got to have the. That's why it's you know you got to have the more you have to have more speed. You have to be able to get there quicker mm-hmm. because there's more distance to cover. Mm-hmm. So you know having someone like that who, if he knows his techniques, if he's able to you know avoid getting you know at least the offensive, if he's able to allow it to where the hands of that off of that center in front of him are not able to get in in contact with his front chest plate, and he's able to keep himself moving forward. 
most direct routes straight. <laughs> it's not it's not at, a, at an arc, arc angle around the corner. So and as you talk, it's harder to dodge something that's coming right at you as you're backpedaling. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. And and if you're dodging it, you're not seeing anything what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 halfway a it's halfway someone in your lap and then halfway a sight thing. It doesn't matter how tall you are if you're if your center's six foot three and he's right in the middle of your lap. Like you can't see anything. So it doesn't, even if he doesn't get a sack or you can maneuver around, well, now you're late, right? Even if I have to slide, I can slide and avoid. I'm late, right? If I'm late, I'm getting picked off. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a nightmare. It really is. That's why center is so important, honestly. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And speaking of centers, we all have three different players as, as a center uh, position, which is pretty uh, interesting. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with the guy who has been there, he's done that. He's had multiple quarterbacks behind him who have been very successful in the arena game. I have Derek Ziegler. He's had Bain, Faithful, Grady, and the list goes on. Did you play with Ziegler? Because it, it, he could be – so no. So, Ma- so Mason wasn't either. Uh, so other quarterbacks too. I have Ziegler because – one thing I noticed when we were talking about Brandon Cisse, in the three games prior to the championship loss to Albany, he he didn't control Cisse. One of those games Cisse didn't play. He was, I think, injured or he was suspended. But in the two games, the two of the games that he played against Cisse, he didn't stop Cisse. He did enough to keep Cisse away from Bain and let Bain cook. Mm-hmm. And But in that championship game, it was completely different. You had a different version of Cisse. And Ziggler struggled, and Bain didn't struggle too. In the highlight video, we showed uh, Nick Haggai in the backfield because Cisse was bulldozing Ziggler you know, 10 yards the other way. Uh, but Ziggler, overall, as a Cobra, as a Shark, a veteran, a good guy, he knows the system, he knows the snap count, and he's going to protect you. It's just, there's not everyone's Brandon Cisse. <laughs> but uh, I have Ziggler as my top offensive lineman slash center. Um, Zach, you have a familiar name who's played in Columbus, who has played in the AFL, mm-hmm. and who would that be, sir? Well, Sean Lockett, and I and I think I think a lot of it comes down to just uh, you know I I've wa- I remember watching him first season that the Empire came back in the NAL. You know he's had obviously better he's had performances beyond that, but dude was one of the, one of the top centers in the league then. Um, and maybe it's a bit just, you know, missing him, missing him and him getting off to the IFL when he was with Mm -hmm. Massachusetts last year after he was supposed to be in Columbus, by the way. Um, and so getting him back and by the way, he was supposed to retire. That was something that I was, that kind of surprises me is that he announced at least on, uh, on the Pittsburgh, on the Massachusetts Pirates, his own page that that was his final game was back in March or was going to be back later in, uh, July, at least his regular season stint. So you know, getting to see him return to the fray is it's great. I, I love I love that you get someone of that talent coming back to the NAL um, and it's exciting. So everyone else in this list, though, I would definitely pick. But look, I think maybe just be, just getting Sean Lockett back in the NAL was to me a win for not just the Warbirds, but I think for the league itself to keep that talent pool up to its level that it's been in recent years. And yeah, you're right. Sean Lockett is as good as they get. Uh, mm-hmm. that truly is. Ziggler's really, really good. He's a really talented young man as well. He he does he does a great job. Uh, my pick is simply because I've played behind so many offensive linemen. Uh, I and so I I would be remiss if I didn't pick someone that's actually played in front of me and played for me. And I've never felt more protected in my life than I did behind Cornelius Lewis in 2021. Yeah. 
So he that that's a wrap. That dude, you get he gets his hands on you, it's game over. Uh another and and another aspect of it that a lot of people don't see is he had two touchdowns in that championship game on screens. He's athletic enough to catch the football, which is mm-hmm. a big deal in running football. That's right. But he's also a journeyman too. Cornelius Lewis played for Jacksonville for a couple years, won oh, championship jacks, Carolina. He's a longtime AFL vet. And, yeah. Uh, I think he, and, Tampa and Bay. Uh, he's been everywhere. I know he's in Atlantic City. So he that was the connect. He was he was teammates with Marvin uh, ah, in Atlantic yeah. City. And then when we needed uh, some help on the offensive line that next year, he called Cornelius and he came down and it was a, he was a, he was a big part of that run. There but you also played with Lockett too, didn't you? No, I did not. He was Zach was right. He was signed in Columbus and then he left about the same time I didn't show up. So. I never got to play behind him. <laughs> Great guy. I know him. He's a friend. I, I just never got to play behind him. Right. Well, that, that's what got, what got me last year and that's why I'm happy he's back because, you know, it, 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 I was – I get why he went back up there. He's He has more of his roots are up in the Northeast, so I understood. But it was like – it was a shame because it was a, that's a good player mm-hmm. that was moving on last year. Mm-hmm. So I'm just happy to see him return is all. Uh, Lewis, though, I mean, I bet – you talked to Sam Castanero. I bet he was thrilled to have uh, that – that gentleman yeah. protecting him the way you're deal. talking, Mason, because, I mean, that was part of Sam's development the year prior. He also was getting pressured, like, mm-hmm. nonstop. So that's uh, as good of a guy as you can get as well, I think, to let him calm down and kind of get the game under grass, not have to worry about being under re- duress as much as he was in his rookie year. Yeah, for sure. Now we're going to another segment, uh, a part of this uh, player pool, the kick returners. Now, I'm going to name a lot of people, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of them, who are kick returners. Rob Jones, Darius Prince, Darian Townsend, Josh Jenkins, Kendrick Ings, all legit elite kick returners in the early game. All three of us were unanimous on this vote. And a homeboy from San Antonio who came on the scene last year is our number one guy, Kylie Rashad. Um... The reason why I have a number one, he made he made a play, I think, in the second game against Columbus. Uh, Gibson intentionally kicked away from him. They want to kick in the out of the end zone, kicked away from Cali Rashad, and he still got the ball, being the ball getting kicked away from him and still scored. When you have a coach that's strategically not trying to kick to you and you still get the ball and you score, that is talent. And Gibson, and I know back in the Columbus days, he is he thrives on special teams. That's he's like Beamer Ball. He turnovers and special teams. That's what he does good. And Kylie, that game when he shined there, we I think we had him on the sh- the show the next week, Zach, because uh, he showed out. He did. Um, we all three have Kylie Rashad. So Mason, why Kylie Rashad? Absolutely electric. I'm going to be honest. I don't watch any kick returns because I'm usually taking my helmet off on the sideline. But I've heard he's really good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I got better than no, I got water. I got to talk about the plays coming he's, up. He, he, that guy, I know uh, I know he was a guy you don't want. If you're on the other team, you don't want the ball in his hands. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a that's a cheap way for him to get the football. He's he's electric. He's absolutely electric. <laughs> Mason just carbon copied what I was going to say. So obviously, he, I, I'm not even going to waste much more time in just going di- – Ditto. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Like, 
a dude dude has a great sense of at least find at least uh, alleys and finding those different blocking lanes that you need to find on kick returns um and he's a great receiver as well i mean mm-hmm. they, they, you know the dude dude is one of the top two that i would put in that spot he just he, to me he did it just slightly better than darian townsend that's not too much too much yeah. else to go go with but yeah there, there's a reason the guy surprised a lot of people and that's mm-hmm. a that's a prime example of a player that at the beginning of the year we weren't sure about the talent on san antonio he came in and said okay yeah that's one of those guys that definitely fit the bill and excelled at this level so good stuff definitely the best returner in the league though without a doubt now with kick returners we go to kickers and we'll get the mason last because he has a unique one uh zach marco orosco why um the dead accuracy that he has on deuces and also on kicks um i also think that again you know the albany did what they could to mitigate that loss but you saw that that was impactful in the playoffs i mean mm-hmm. the sharks the sharks maybe don't get eliminated and move on if orozco is not Hit their that deuce. Yep. in hitting those in hitting crucial deuces in that semifinal matchup so to me he is the best kicker in the nal and it's crazy that you know manassas crew has landed two of the better kickers in arena and indoor over the last few years with Peterson. And then they go to Roscoe and it's pretty much status quo, you know, for the most part until he was injured against Columbus. So yeah, he's my top guy. Uh, he can do it all when healthy though. So I give it to him. I have San Antonio kicker, Drew Parsons or Pearson's one reason why he's the only kicker that I know that can hit deuces in the six center in Columbus. Well, that's ah. <laughs> I don't know that's how fair. he, I don't know how he does a draw. Maybe his leg is a five iron. And he's getting a lot of air under in it and just hooking around the score. Because I've heard stories about how difficult it is to kick in that arena. And when he did that in Columbus, and I was like, oh, I think he's going to be good. Then he starts nailing them like crazy at towards the end of the year. San Antonio's success in the second half of the season was a result of him hitting deuces. And he was getting accurate. And they and it was literally his second. I think San Antonio's literally the second signing this offseason was him. Like, kickers usually don't go like that. Like that's the second sign. It was Kylie Rashad, Drew Park Pearson's. Bam. I think. I think. I mean, the deuce alone. I think makes it to where you have to knock lock yeah. those guys down asap. Um, and credit Mason's got to work around for that. <laughs> uh, want, uh, so. Mason, uh, you didn't pick a kicker. Uh, why? <laughs> I've been burnt by too many kickers in the last seven years of my yeah, life. Go for two. That's my answer. Go for two. He's got a point. <laughs> Go for two. Uh, yeah, that's a quarterback in him. He's like, you know what? That now you know how like picture picking about kickers. Look at Dak Prescott in the playoff game. Like, even though they were winning the game big, the the kicker missed what four extra five extra points. That, four, that's crucial. <laughs> but they were so dominating that Tampa Bay that it didn't affect him at all. So that's crazy. Uh, Okay, now we're going to a position that is linebacker slash fullback. We'll do this all together to wrap it up here. So this is an extended show. I do apologize, but big news happened. And, of course, we're doing power rankings. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, these power rankings of these positions will be posted on our Twitter and Facebook accounts this weekend starting tomorrow, Friday, Saturday. You'll get each position with all the players, helmets, and all. It'll be a nice little graphic. So if you don't get confused, if you see it on the Twitter Remember, we're talking about on the podcast, so go back to the podcast and listen to it. Uh, so linebackers and fullbacks. Uh, Zach, you did Starks 
and Trayvon Shorts. Why those two players to intrigue you to get them? Starks, because he's a game wrecker. Um, that's just the simple fact of it, the, that the man has just a motor that is, I think, that much more tenacious in terms of trying to get to the quarterback. And we saw it last year. There's a reason why he won Defensive Player of the Year. Um, and it's definitely going to be one of the best pickups that the Warbirds could have had for trying to get up to the level of the NAL is locking down a talent like that. So that's for the case. Shorts, now credit, I have to put an asterisk on there. He is listed as a linebacker only online. But if I were to be a little more suspicious, I would not be surprised if they use Shorts again over in Albany as a fullback for how effective that setup was last year. So even though he's listed as a linebacker only, I am listed as fullback because, again, in half a season's work, he almost caught up and surpassed Zach Brown for a full season's work at that position. He was not playing at that spot, and he got signed on later in the year. To me, if he's a fullback in Albany, he is the best fullback in the league because they use him to his best ability. He's shiftier than most running backs, and they found a way, to, like I said, to blend the indoor game into the arena game. It, I was impressed last year with that. But, again, caveat is if they use him like that. Otherwise, that changes. But right now, I'm banking that Shorts plays fullback to some capacity this season. For me, I have at uh, linebacker, the Mac linebacker, Nick Hag, uh, because that's a motor that doesn't stop. I think he goes around in his day-to-day -day life tackling people on the streets because that's what he do. He's a linebacker. Um, am I, and fullback slash running back, every one position, I have to go with the man himself, the Duval legend, the man and the myth and legend. Now he plays in Carolina, but he stole Duval in heart and had Zach Brown. Um, that guy is, I talk, I've, I've talked to him on the field after pre after games, very genuine, soft spoken, but the man plays like an animal on the field. And he, he helped Bain a lot last year. And when he was in Jacksonville, he was the saving grace for all the quarterbacks down here. And I think he's, he's a well-rounded full. He's not shifty as Trayvon shorts, but he's a guy who, when he gets the ball, if you don't hit him, tackle him. He's going to bust a five-yard, 15-yard, and oh, he's gone for 45 to an end zone if it's on the one-yard line. So it, it's – for me, there's so many guys that put in that position. I could put uh, uh, Alfred there. I could put Maxwell there. I could put Shorts there. But I'm looking at the vet himself. He's done it. He's been around, and he – the game his, – his game has not declined. It's still the same. So Zach Brown at fullback in the CAG as uh, the Mac. So quarterback, your friend and your foe. Your friend, your running back, your foe, the Mac. Who are you got? The Mac linebacker, uh, man, we, we talked about earlier. There's a lot of really good ones out there. We're talking about Johnson, right? Alfred is as good as they get. Hag's as good as they get. I've played Hag for a long time. Kerry Stark's the defensive player of the year right now. I mean, how do you, you know, how do you argue that? He's been so disruptive, uh, been such a hard worker. So that that's who I go with, you know, for right now for sure. Uh, fullback wise, honorable mention to Des Maxwell because dude's a beast. But True. I was so impressed with Zach Brown last year. I mean, the, obviously, everyone's seen his highlights to know how well he plays. But I mean, I'm not kidding. He played every single snap, offense and defense, for 60 minutes, special teams. He never came off the field. It was one of the most impressive things that I've seen somebody do on arena football field and, and it probably went unnoticed by a lot of people. So I'm going to go with Zach Brown for now. It's kind of an honorable shout out to, to our boy Des. Oh yeah. Um, Zach. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think Brown would be my, I think Brown would be my pick at fullback if I wasn't mm -hmm. wondering about yeah. shorts, but I mean, look, I'll, I'll definitely want to touch on Brown props to that because that's true. Dude is basically nonstop 
having to commit to both sides of the ball. And, you know, Iron Man, it, it wears on people. Um, mm. Not just that, Iron Man for a full season with no bye weeks uh, yeah. wears on people. Remember, Carolina didn't have any time off last year. They had to run all the way to the championship bye week with playing games and only got one week off before going to Albany to play. So extra props there. Uh, you have to have a really well-conditioned uh, physique to be able to play both sides, keep on the field that long. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add on. Desmond Maxwell, though, if he's there consistently all year or at least majority of the season, watch out because that dude can break him. He is a fast, mm-hmm. large guy. Those are scary. That is a scary principle to have in arena football for a running back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a very lengthy episode, but huge news from the Arena Football League making its major announcement, and we want to do player rankings and all. The overall team rankings, preseason team rankings, won't drop until maybe two weeks, two to three weeks before the season kicks off uh, because we know the rosters. We'll see the transactions that are happening. We'll see who stays and who goes. This is just position rankings by rooms and the player we think is finishing the tops or who we think right now are the best player in the position. Uh, With that, next week, uh, we wanted to announce next week that the 2023 NAL preview series uh, starts next week as we start heading into these teams to preview what these teams have. Next week is a Fayetteville um, Mustangs exclusive episode. We're going. I'm going to try to get either Cato or Kendrick Ings on to the show next week to interview him about what's going on with Fayetteville, how the team's preparing. What Mason may join us, may not join us, depends on his schedule. Um, he's more of the guys going to join us throughout the year as the games go because again, he has a mind of his own as a quarterback. We're just people that talk about the sport. Uh, but next week, our preview series begins um, starting with the um, Fayetteville Mustangs, and it will end a week before the regular season as we'll capitalize with the Albany empire and we'll have coach Manos and Darius Prince on that week in March before the season kicks off uh, for the 2023 year. So gents Mason, welcome to the inside the walls podcast crew. Very extended episode. shows usually never this long, by the way, uh, throwback days. Yeah, but usually not uh, also to the fans out there. We will be doing two shows during the regular season. Uh, we'll have a like a Wednesday rewind, but we're trying to think of a name, and then we'll have a preview on Friday. So you'll have two shows during the season, so you're not going to have to be in front of your laptop or your podcast platform and listen for two hours. You'll have two different days to listen to shows to preview. We'll review and preview each game this season, and we'll drop some interviews randomly throughout the week if we get some. So with that, uh, Mason, first time on the show, welcome to the team. I forgot to say that. We just went right into the game, and Sorry, talking about the NAL. Welcome to the team. I'm looking forward to your insights of the arena game. And hopefully we can broaden our broadcast and get more people. And, of course, to the fans out there, we do have a saying here. It's remember one thing. <sighs> Don't be a jack out of the box, people. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Remember, your know the rules. Be smart out there. <laughs> I'm Jim Renier. That's Zach Collin, and that is ball man, football head coach. Well, hopefully, head coach future. Ball offense coordinator to Paul University. He's the ball guy. He knows his ball. Um, that's what. Every, that's one thing I'm gonna mention before. Every time I talk about the coach Gibson, he doesn't say football. He says ball. I don't know why coaches said we we're, we're we're a ball guy. 
what? No, it's football. No, we're, we talk ball. I'm like, okay, coach. That's just coaching lingo. Uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I am Jim Renier. That's Zal Kyleman. That's the MVP, Mason Espinoza. This has been episode 82 of Inside the Walls podcast. Enjoy your rest of your day. We'll see you next week for uh, Fayetteville Mustangs preview for the 2023 season. Covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier.